The title of the talk tonight is There is No Bad Practice. Uh, my first year of college, I was down at a pond near a dorm, and I was watching the most beautiful sunrise I'd ever seen. And I had this uh, peak experience of feeling totally uh, connected, not separate, uh, no feeling of being a separate self. And I felt like I was understanding uh, some of the Buddhist teachings that I had read about. So that understanding of interconnectedness rather than feeling alienated or lonely was this wonderful experience. And yet, after a few moments of this experience, uh, there were some um, what we called in those days docs who lived in the dorm and they'd had an all-night beer party that night. And just at that moment where I was just peeking into this kind of bliss of connectedness, uh, about three of them started throwing up outside, right next to where I was standing. (laughs) Uh, And my peak experience bottomed out really quickly. You know, it was so painful. And I couldn't put those two experiences together. You know, I was feeling so interconnected, and then I felt so angry and so separate within seconds. You know, so just just peak experience to totally bummed out, and I didn't understand. I didn't have any skill to work with it, and I, and I closed up. It was just so painful. And one of the sayings that had inspired me to open in that way was um, from a Chinese poet. Um, he's anonymous, and he said, The blue of the sky touches my clothes. And I just love that way of expressing, you know, being able to really receive life so fully and be so utterly connected. When we have a peak experience, sometimes I think that poetry is the only way to really uh, put it into some kind of um, context. And I wanted to share part of a story from um, a book of stories from Haida Gwaii, known as the Queen Charlotte Islands. And this is a story about the canoe people. And, And this is an ancient story. Then they set off, they say. After they traveled a ways, a wren sang to one side of them. They could see that it punctured a blue hole through the heart of the one who had passed closest to it, they say. Being punctured by life, you know, having that total willingness to be touched or touched by the universe and to feel so utterly connected is described as a blue hole in the heart. This is so exquisite. But why can't we maintain it? Well, it's because life hurts sometimes, and it's really hard to know how to work with that. When I came across 
the Buddha's teachings, I felt um, a relief that he acknowledged suffering, you know, that the first noble truth is the truth of suffering, but also that there was this very precise map of how one can develop the skill uh, to be free, to be able to live in the human world, to cope with that range of joy and sorrow from the sunrise to the uh, vomit. So hopefully we come to meditation out of a kind of compassion or kindness for ourselves and others. And this compassion helps us to uh, cut through, to have the courage to cut through our own indifference to suffering. Usually when we're young, uh, we have an innocent faith. And it's interesting to look at what that innocent faith feels like. And I look back at a time when I would um, play alligators with my nephew. Uh, we usually played alligators during you know, these adult parties. And uh, we would s- sit under the dining room table, and the adult legs you know, sitting there were, the, uh, were our food. You know, and we would be alligators, and we'd be eating the food. And one night, he looked at me and he said, this is all just a movie, isn't it? And he just had learned how to talk. And I was just like, <laughs> you know, who are you? <laughs> you know, but we, are all, we were all like that. You know, we all came in with this kind of innocent faith and knowledge. Uh, we were so open. And I think that you can remember that easier than I can. (laughs) It's a little closer to you. Um, And we're meant to move from innocent faith to what's called verified faith. So innocent faith isn't based on facing the pain in the world. And often people don't make that journey. The spiritual journey is moving from that place of innocent faith to one of verified faith. But if we don't learn any skills or resources, we often just stay stay closed, and we don't open, and we don't learn from life. So the way we move into verified faith is the willingness to learn from the hard knocks of life. One aspect of that is the acceptance of the vomit, as well as the sunrise. It's the acceptance of the pain in the world, and not taking it personally. I like the image that my nephew used of a movie because one of the things that we're doing in this meditation is to see that we're all playing our own movie. And when we take a chance and have the courage to sit here and close our eyes and to to be quiet and get still, we can see how unbelievably self-centered we are. You know, it's like we are so caught in our own movie uh, so say, say we pretend that there's a movie screen up there and there's a movie playing on it. You know, it's so easy, and it's fun, actually. And one reason we go to the movies is to get lost in a movie. You know, we lose ourselves. Uh, but then we start taking, you know, parts and taking people personally, and we get very involved, and we suffer the highs and lows. That's what we do. And it's all going on inside this little funny part of our heads. And if you look around, you'll see that everyone does it inside their heads. Um, 
this meditation practice is meant to like question that. So we ask you, turn around and look and see how the movie's being played. Well, first you'll see a projector. Our identification, our belief in the story is being true, as being me or I or mine. And then if you really want to look further and you get a little quieter, you might look at the film. And a peak experience in meditation is when you see that the film is actually a still photograph, a total moment of the universe. And then it's over. And then another complete moment, and it's over. And it's frame by frame. And the only reason that we ever get involved in it is because it's being played at a certain speed. So our normal level of reality, what we call relative level of reality, is that we all agree upon you know, that we're playing this at a certain speed. Now, I think you all know that the adult world can get very boring you know, because you know there's more to it than just that. You came from it not so long ago. Uh, and it becomes a prison for us if we don't explore. It doesn't mean that that speed and being able to uh, know that this is a Michelle and this is a Belle, that's a rug. This whole world that we have come to know is a separate you, a separate me, a separate light. That's important to function in. And you need to, you need to do that. And I need to do that. But if we let it become a prison, all we do is stay in our own movie. And it's very self-centered, separate, lonely. And we yearn, you know, our yearning that often gets, you know, played out with sex or drugs or, you know, whatever it is, a career that isn't satisfying. We're just trying to fill up the holes. So the Buddha said that if you take a close look at the film that's being played, that you never know what's going to happen. That the truth of life is that one moment happens, it passes, and then the truth of life is changed. And one of the really interesting aspects of this is that not only is life changing, but that with each moment of each frame, there's a pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feeling. That's a mental feeling, so that if a sound happens at the same moment, there's a pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral mental feeling that happens at the same time as the sound. And it's happening with a sight, a smell, a taste, a touch, at, at the six sense doors. So we've taken birth into this body and mind uh, that's extraordinarily vulnerable. So when we have innocent faith, we don't really get that we're born into this world of change. And then we can't cope with the pain. And we run from it to maintain our little secure world. But most of you have um, already been shattered from that. You've already had pain that was too hard to bear. The Buddha taught that the secret to happiness is the willingness to learn from all of our experience. 
and that anything happen that anything that happens is good practice. The Buddha taught that the secret to happiness is waking up, and he said it was like waking up from a sleep, a deep sleep. You know, so what does that mean? That we're asleep at the wheel. Where does the weariness in life come from? You know, what's the difference between being wholehearted or passionate about our life? And when is it that we get weary? I mean, I can say something, but I would ask you to explore it. You know, where is pain? Is it when we're resisting change? When do we feel happy? When do we not? My uh, sister died this year, which was extremely painful for me. And when I went to her uh, house, I copied something from her refrigerator. And it's about ignorance. And it's a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon. Um, And I think probably most of you know Calvin and Hobbes, uh, but Calvin is the little child part of us that loves to get into trouble. And Hobbes is his best friend, stuffed animal, who's a tiger. And they're about to take off in a little red wagon. And Hobbes is pushing Calvin. And Calvin has the little handle. You know, he's steering it, sort of. And they're about to take off on this huge hill and through the forest. And so, and the path winds through the trees. So it looks like they're already going to about get into trouble. Okay, so. Calvin says to Hobbes, and they're both really have that innocent faith, and they're excited. They're about to take off. And Calvin says, it's true, Hobbes. Ignorance is bliss. And then they start, already it's starting to get kind of, uh-oh. And they're going through the forest, and um, Calvin says, once you know things, you start seeing problems everywhere. And once you see problems, you feel like you ought to try to fix them. And Hobbes is like already stiff as a board and just terrified. And they're, they're out of control. And then <laughs> Calvin's pretending he can still steer. And he says, and fixing problems always seems to require personal change. <laughs> and change means doing things that aren't fun. I say fooey to that. <laughs> and now they've come out of the woods, and it's like just about free fall. And Calvin is screaming back at Hobbes. Hobbes has left his body, clearly. (laughs) And and Calvin says, he's not looking at all. He's he's turned. (laughs) He's turning and looking at Hobbes, and he's saying, but if you're willfully stupid, you don't know any better, so you can keep doing whatever you like. (laughs) And now they're like, you know, like, really going fast. (laughs) And he says to Hobbes, the secret to happiness is short-term stupid (laughs) self-interest. And then they're they're in the free fall. And Hobbes has one hand over one eye. And he says, we're heading for that cliff. And Calvin goes, I don't want to know about it. (laughs) And then they they go screaming off, and they crash. And you know they're coming to. And Hobbes says, well, I'm not sure I can stand this much bliss. (laughs) (laughs) 
And Calvin says, careful. We don't want to learn anything from this. (laughs) 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 So Calvin says that the secret to happiness is short-term, stupid self-interest. And we do it a lot, yeah. We're Calvin and we're Hobbes. <laughs> but we're also the Buddha. And the Buddha says the secret to success is developing long-term wisdom and compassion, overcoming self-centeredness. So is ignorance bliss? How many times do we say, I don't want to see this? So the Buddha said there's no greater happiness than peace, and that peace means that we're not resisting our experience when it's painful. So when Hobbes says we're heading for that cliff, and Calvin says I don't want to know about it, and there's a crash, and Calvin says it's so incredible, careful, we don't want to learn anything from this. You know, this is really the story of a lot of our days. You know, because it's really hard. It was hard for me to accept that I, I took birth to learn. You know, that, that I was here uh, to learn spiritually. And that pain was not an aspect of that. It was easier to be really angry a lot and to blame others and myself. There's a great teacher that um, brought Zen Buddhism to America from Japan named Suzuki Roshi, and he wrote a book called Beginner's Mind. And he described in the book that mindfulness is a soft readiness. A soft readiness. You know, and that, that has so much power, and yet it's so gentle. You know, this balance. In actual fact, um, if we look at a Buddha image, the idea is that there's a balance of power and softness. And it's not the absence of the feminine, and it's not the absence of the masculine, but it's actually the totality. It's all of the feminine, the positive feminine qualities. It's all of the positive masculine qualities that is a Buddha nature. So soft readiness means that we ask, you know, well, a soft readiness for what? And the answer, well, it's a soft readiness for anything. You know, and when we come in to sit, we might have that sense that something's supposed to happen, or that we're supposed to get something or strive to get something, or that if sleepiness happens that we can't learn anything from it. But in actual fact, that anything that happens in life or in, in, in walking or sitting or whatever is worthy of our attention. And that that's really when we start getting that anything that happens is good practice. It's just how we're relating to it. And if we're relating to it with the sense that of that soft readiness, we'll start to understand that we can use our life in any way for waking up. So freedom happens, and you've already experienced this, when mindfulness is present, that soft readiness. And it takes time to let it sink in. 
that it doesn't matter what our experience is. You know, this is so radical that happiness isn't based on our experience, that it's based on how we're relating to our experience. You know, it, it just, the human, <laughs> we're a bit slow as humans. You know, if we were faster, we probably wouldn't have taken birth here. Uh, or we're bodhisattvas. An aspect of this soft readiness is being able to distinguish between concept and reality. And so when we um, understand the relative world of reality, and I ask you to listen to this, notice that you can drop into deeper levels of reality, the direct vibration of hearing itself, as well as surface level, the thought, that's a bell. Oh, where did the bell come from? I wonder if it came from Japan. I wonder if I can get one. Back to the direct vibration of hearing. Try it. This sound will last a long time. Did you let yourself get touched by the universe with the sound? Sometimes we'll think that the sound is out there, but if you're very still, you'll see that the sound actually is perceived here. And if you're very quiet, the mind door, you know, there's the ear door, the eye door, the nose door, the mind door is considered here. Sometimes you can feel the vibration of the sound go right through your body. What's that? You know, where do you begin and where do I begin? Where does the sound begin? Where does it end? This is part of the exploration, is who are you, who am I, and how does separation happen? It happens through a moment of perception. You know, so it's quite interesting, because when we hear this teaching, then suddenly it can be that the thought that that's a bell is the wrong experience. But it isn't. It's all process. So we might hear the bell. And if a thought happens, that's a bell. That's not wrong, because that's just a thought happening in the present moment. And if you shift your attitude to process, then you just shift to noticing that thinking's happening. And you don't have to get rid of that thought or think that something's wrong, that you're having a thought. This, this is critical. Because this is pretty easy in comparison if you have a thought, I hate myself because that person just rejected me. You know, I mean, th- these, are, these are big leaps to go from, you know, that's a bell, okay, that's just thinking, to, you know, I never want to speak to that person t- again, you know, because they were my friend and now they aren't anymore. Now look at, look at that change in times of noticing the movie, noticing our own movie, and noticing how easy it is to believe a thought and write somebody off for the rest of our lives, or write ourselves off. And so we, f- we disconnect from life because we don't see clearly. We disconnect because we haven't seen that it's just a judging thought. 
I used to judge my judgments so bad that I wouldn't, when I was on retreat, my first retreats were not young adult retreats, we didn't have them. Uh, but I was so afraid of my own judgments that when we had um, a meal, I would, get, I would wait till the meal was practically over, get my food, and I would always eat away from people. And I didn't really know that I was trying to run away from judging people, but I stayed away from people a lot at retreats. And I was a cook here uh, on staff once, and we had a staff retreat. And I noticed that um, somebody would, uh, came into the dining room and would get his food, and he would sit right there watching people put the food on their plates. And he didn't try to seclude himself from watching all this. He would watch everybody. And if I had been doing that, I would have been just judging, 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 and, and hating myself for judging, or hating them for being <laughs> taking too much food, or not enough food, or whatever. And so at the end of the retreat, I asked him, you know, how do you do this? How can you just sit there? And he said, I just sit there judging. <laughs> And it was like, well, doesn't it bother you? No, it's just judging. It's, you know, and that's how I learned to work with judging. You know, that it's such a, you see, there's nothing wrong with judging. It's just that if we believe the thoughts, that it's a problem. You know, and we're so vulnerable to our thoughts. It's like comparing. You know, we'll compare last retreat to this retreat, or we'll compare, you know, this piece of uh, skirt to another skirt, or, you know, that. Uh, my uh, thinking ability to somebody else's thinking ability. Wherever we have pride, or wherever we're thinking we're weak or we're more vulnerable, that comparison is killer for the heart. It brings so much separation. So those soft mental notes... um, help us to learn what mindfulness is. So that soft readiness is a poetic way to describe it, but another way to think about it is if you had um, the ability to, instead of having your hands like this and saying, I don't want to know about it, say doubt happens, doubt in ourself. That's the opposite of faith, yeah, whether it's immature faith or uh, verified uh, faith or experiential faith. Um, the doubt in ourselves brings us into a vicious cycle. You know, so whether we're doubting the teaching, or doubting a teacher, or doubting um, ourselves, it took me a long time to realize that I could say, there's a recipe for this, whenever I had self-doubt. So if you make a cake, you take eggs and sugar and... uh, Hopefully it's a chocolate cake, so there's cocoa and whatever. Uh, (laughs) And you mix it up, you get a chocolate cake. There's also a recipe for doubt. And usually there's been something very unpleasant or painful. We got overwhelmed by it, clobbered by it, and then we're afraid of that experience. And we get gun-shy, we get afraid of having that experience in the future. We feel weaker because we're afraid there's more self-doubt. I mean, and and I think about, I mean, there's so many, I can give you zillions of examples of this in my own life, but one of them that was really hard for me initially was the first rejection from my first boyfriend. You know, 
And I really thought I was going to die. You know, it was so painful. Um, You know, it's so vivid in my mind, that experience. And I didn't think I could ever, like, live through that feeling of rejection again. You know, and then I got into that thing that, you know, eventually after going through the worst part of it, I was going to show him, you know, and... (laughs) You know, so, like, I changed myself. I worked hard to change myself so that somebody else would accept me. You know, it, and it was so painful because here I was changing myself so that I'd get accepted. And then the next rejection wasn't quite as bad, but um, it was still horrible. And that one, there was, you know, this jealousy that was of, of the other person. Uh, and a lot of these experiences, it took me a long time to learn how to be mindful of jealousy how to be mindful of that fear of rejection. You know, and slowly over my life, through <laughs> the practice, with the hard stuff, with the stuff that really um, shakes our confidence and faith in life, I did learn that this soft readiness, this skill at being able to go from the resistance to the experience, this hands over the eyes, the indifference to our suffering, to really being willing to recognize it, and then see if you can accept it. And accepting pain, and this is so critical, doesn't mean we're saying what happened is right. And whether it's, you know, starvation in the world, or, you know, a horrible corporation, you know, ripping people off, or, you know, a feeling of utter, total rejection, or self-hatred, these kinds of pains in life, it doesn't mean that acceptance isn't passive. It means that we just accept how we're feeling in the moment and that it happened. There's no other way to work with it. If we don't accept that something happened, we get indifferent and we disconnect from life and we feel separate and we don't learn. And through that acceptance, say, you know, jealousy, you know, say you sit here, (laughs) I know we experience jealousy. It's a very common thing. Um, For so many years, I thought it wasn't an okay experience. So I pushed it away. I was afraid of it. And so there'd be doubt in my ability to be in life in that way. And so the difference is, instead of saying, oh no, there's jealousy, it's like, oh, I can say now. I know how to work with that. It might not make it pleasant, but I know I can work with jealousy. It comes, it goes, and there's no problem. Uh, One of the greater teachers from the last century, Krishnamurti, said, just to be vulnerable, to be sensitive, like that new green leaf that was born yesterday to face rain, storms, wind, darkness, and light. Did you come here for that in this world? Did you come to face rain, storms, wind, darkness, and light? Because that's what it's like to be vulnerable, to be sensitive. So what kind of retreat did you want? What kind of weather do we prefer? Do we want no body pain? 
Do we want the same thing we had yesterday for lunch? What kind of sleeping place? Do we want no sleepiness when we come in to meditate? No fear? Do we want no difficult people? Just pleasure? Or do we want the truth? I was teaching a retreat in um, California before I came here, and there was a, a young woman on the retreat that had what we call a multiple hindrance attack. And if you don't know what that is, that means she had a combination of restlessness, sleepiness, doubt, aversion, and attachment come up all in one lump. And so she, this is a note she wrote to the managers of the retreat. Dear managers, she tried to run away. She had tried to escape. So I was taking a walk on one of the paths. Think city girl feeling proud about being adventurous. This is a, a retreat center in California that's out in the hills. So she was a city girl that went out to the hills. And all was well and peaceful until the woods, a big black spider, see picture on back. <laughs> it has suction cups. <laughs> glommed onto my sweatshirt, I began squealing so much for noble silence, and then started running. I ditched the path and headed for the field to get out of the woods. Unfortunately, I thoroughly disturbed some roosting turkeys, and they started squawking, which scared me. She underlines that. I ran, I ran back into the woods and onto the path and picked up the pace. Then it crossed my mind that I was sure to be a mountain lion's dinner, on the bulletin board there, they had this pamphlet about mountain lions, by the way, which I was kind of <laughs> wondering about myself. Then it crossed my mind that I was sure to be a mountain lion's dinner, so I tried walking, saying to myself, be mindful, be mindful. But it was all too much, so I said, screw mindfulness, <laughs> screw the mountain lions, and I took off at a high rate of speed. For me, anyway, seeing that I just quit smoking four days ago and my lungs aren't able to keep up with my legs. As I was cruising past the dead stumps of trees, homes of mountain lions, I spotted in passing the dreaded poison oak. I am now convinced, since I was running and squealing like an idiot and not paying attention, that I am covered in poison oak oil. I threw my clothes on the floor and washed my face and hands, but I'm worried. I saw the laundry soap in the manager's office, but it didn't seem to be special poison oak soap. I didn't see anything poison oak related. I did notice that you have a wonderful supply of Chinese herbs that I'd like to buy, though. multiple hindrance attack. Anyway, what do you recommend I do besides shutting up? 
TPS. Can poison oak get inside your body? Because as soon as I changed, I went and ate lunch. (laughs) 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 That's what we call a multiple hindrance attack. And you'll get them when you come in here. You know, you'll kind of feel really restless and want to run out of here screaming, and then you'll kind of stay with it for a while, and you'll fall asleep. And then you'll get really irritated, and then you'll get afraid that maybe it'll happen again, and then you'll start fantasizing about a relationship. That can happen within two minutes. Life changes. And do we have the courage to really come in here and realize that none of that is bad practice? And that it's only really when we're not connecting with our experience. And this is what I really want to encourage you to see, that it's whenever we're not connecting with our experience, we suffer. Whenever we take our experience too personally, we suffer. And when we shift our our awareness to that soft readiness for anything and have that attitude of being able to learn from anything. Um, We're peaceful and happy. So I'd like to end with a quote from Mother Teresa. Uh, She was asked by an interviewer, when you pray to God, What do you say? And she said, when I pray, I don't say anything. I just listen. And the interviewer looked a little confused, and he said, well, when God answers you, what does he say? And she said, he doesn't say anything. He just listens. And if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. We're here to listen to life, to ourselves, and to understand that there's no such thing as bad practice. And we get this great confidence in ourselves to learn. Let's sit for a minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.